0: Speaker today is a very old man. <laughs> uh, I'm 70. I'll tell you, uh, my wife is 70, and uh, <clears throat> I have to remind myself of that all the time because I don't feel 70. I, I feel much younger. My knees knees feel about 100, but uh, the parts just don't all all quite add up. But what a what a privilege again to worship with you. Thank you. Ladies of the worship team who led us, and just a reminder, we need to hear and say again things we already know, that indeed, he is worthy of our praise and he is able. Uh, So good to be with you again. Uh, I recognize uh, faces, but names don't come with them, unfortunately. Uh, And uh, the masks, of of course, have added to the challenge uh, of that kind of uh, recognition but uh, so good to see my brother, Marcellus Martin, again, and um, so grateful for the connections in the past with Curtis McManus and, and now your pastor, Curtis Costin. I think my last time here was Easter Sunday before you started as the, as the pastor here, and uh, so uh, thrilled to be back again. Uh, pastor Costin was at Faith Church two weeks ago, and we were not there. We were uh, traveling, and uh, we picked it up online and that worked very well, about two-thirds of the way through. So I still have to go back and hear the rest of that sermon. But uh, I look uh, forward uh, to that. Well, I gave my, my wife Linda and my granddaughter Aiden are sitting back here. So glad to have them with me as well. Uh, Aiden is one of six granddaughters that I have, if I can count correctly. <laughs> but I, on the way down here, I asked her a question. It was an unfair question because of her age. And so if you're... Older, you may have a chance of getting this this question correctly, but who in world history has sang to the most people in live audiences than any other person in world history? Hint, Billy Graham Crusades, and can somebody call it out, George Beverly Shea. Uh, even Wikipedia agrees that nobody has sung to as many people in live audience as George Beverly Shea. He died in 2013 at age 104, and he was still singing past 100, not to large audiences. And his signature song, you may recall, Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe display. God speaks through what he has made. God speaks in creation. When through the woods, look through the window here, when through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees when I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and see the brook and feel the gentle breeze. My wife and I just got back a week ago yesterday. Uh, We were invited to go to Maine, to Bailey Island, Maine, out off the Atlantic coast of Maine for a wedding, for me to conduct a wedding uh, a couple of weeks ago. We got home a week ago, uh, and we not only saw that, but we we were able to visit our daughter who was camping in the Adirondacks of New York. We'd not seen her in a year and a half because of COVID, so we were so anxious to see her and her family, and so we joined them. No, we do not camp, but we got a uh, an Airbnb nearby, uh, and so we could see them. And then on the way home, we, we, we stopped by Niagara Falls, New York. I'd never been there. Have any of you seen Niagara Falls? I mean, I worry about my expectations being too high. Not there. My expectations were far exceeded. Amazing. So how do we respond to what we see out there in nature and the ocean and the islands and the mountains and the the Niagara Falls and the mountains and lakes of the Adirondacks? What about the, the vineyards of New York? I didn't know New York had so many vineyards. And then coming across Pennsylvania and Ohio The the cornfields and the evidence of plenty, uh, through all of it, we were surrounded on that trip by the glorious creation of God. But but you don't have to leave Indianapolis for this. As I said, just look out the window. It's right here, this very location. And I understand there's a farm on the other side of these woods. I want to see it. Farm in the city. Uh, Eagle Creek, Fort Bend, but your own yard. If the wind is open at night, it's a little too warm lately, but you hear the night sounds and then I don't know if they're later or cicadas or whatever, but 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 they, they make that incredible sound, which I love, which some don't, and then all of a sudden it stops. Absolute silence. And God speaks in the silence. Well, please open your Bibles to Psalm 19. If you're able to stand, I'd invite you to stand as we uh Read the scripture this morning uh, from Psalm 19, and I've lost my place and I'll have to find it again. Here we go. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. It's for the director of music, a Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands, Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he, God, has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens, and makes it circuit to the other, nothing is hidden from its heat. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The heavens declare the glory of God. And what does that have to do with us? Well, let me take you for a moment to Psalm 8, which has similar words. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth you have set your glory in the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man? What is man? Mankind that you're mindful of him or them. Human beings that you care for them. What's the connection with these two Psalms? Well, Let's go back to the beginning, the account of creation, the pinnacle of that creation when God said in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So what does that mean? Well, our, you recognize, is a plural pronoun, an early acknowledgement, I believe, of the Trinity, the triunity of God revealed more clearly, certainly later, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How are you made in the likeness and image of God. Well, it means we have what other creatures don't have, the ability uniquely to perceive beauty. To intuitively recognize that that the beauty around us in the created world didn't just happen. There's a supremely intelligent and good designer for what we see in creation. And then we come to the first example of poetry in the Bible, Genesis 127. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Made in the image of God means we are made for relationship with God, to receive communication From God, God speaks to us. God pursues us for relationship with Him. And even after Adam and Eve sinned, and sadly, every one of us inherited that sin nature, we're born with that sin nature, yet God pursues us all the more for relationship with Him. And Psalm 19 reveals two primary ways that God speaks. And then there's a third that we're going to tag on at the end as well. But natural revelation, the natural world, the created universe in verses 1 to 6, and then 7 to 14, special revelation, God speaks in the words recorded in the Bible. Now, we're only going to cover the first form of communication today. Verses 1 to 6, natural revelation, or what I call it, sky talk. Now, it's more than that, but that's where David starts, so I'll I'll just borrow that from him. Our sky-talking God. It's more than the witness of the sky, but that's how David introduces it. Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. This is natural revelation. God speaks without words. He speaks visually. I have two two-year-old grandsons. I have a 20-year-old grandson, and I have two two two-year-old grandsons. And if Owen or Silas climb up on my lap for Grandpa to read to them, unless they bring the book, if I am to choose the book, I don't pick up a systematic theology. I pick up a picture book. It has a very few words below the pictures, and I might not even read the pictures because they've got their hands all over it anyway. So it's pictures that speak to them. Now, this text is not talking about pictures. It's talking about reality. Not a picture of reality, but reality itself. So God speaks to us in these images so that even if you don't have the Bible, you cannot escape the witness of creation, the, the, the ability that God has given to use your senses to see and hear and smell and taste and touch what He has made. We don't need a book for that. We're referring to the heavens and the skies, verse 2, day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. Keyword, knowledge. Verses 3 and 4. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. That is a, a physical voice, that sound. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. It's, it's, it's kind of ironic the way he uses the language here uh, poetically. Uh, their words to the ends of the world. So God communicates to us, but he first speaks through the visual, through the sensory, not the verbal, his knowledge is to be gained as we see and hear and smell. Now, Psalm 19 directs our thoughts to just a part of this natural revelation, but a very powerful example in the sky. And uh, I think the first verse here is talking about the night sky in the first half of the verse and then the day sky in the second half of the verse. Uh, but verse 1 David states the obvious, the heavens declare the glory of God. The vastness of the universe, even to the naked eye, is amazing, but we don't ever see it because we're inside the house and watching television or stuck on some other electronic media or something else. So how often do you you ever even look at the sky after dark? Get away from the streetlights if possible to a place where it's really dark down here so that we can see what's really bright up there. It's incredible. Creation shouts, and I think I've gotten my pages mixed up. <laughs> the, th- what you see in the night sky, with with powerful telescopes, astronomers are seeing further into the universe than they ever have. And, and we are told and I don't know how they know, but we're told that there are 100 billion stars just in our Milky Way galaxy. That, that's so beyond my, I can't, I don't know what to say. And uh, that the observable universe has 2 trillion galaxies. I think I'm in trouble with the math. I don't know what to do with that. But I do know that that shouts the glory of God. In some ways, our modern technology is able to see that it's far greater than our limited view is from here. But we don't take much notice. Man-made lights draw attention away from the night sky, but we need to see the night sky as the heavens declare the glory of God. God is speaking without words, but He's speaking. Even more common in bringing little response is the day sky. What do the skies proclaim? Again, in verse 1, David states the obvious the skies proclaim the work of his hands, not just looking up into the blue sky or the clouds or the sun or whatever, but what that reveals all around us because it's light outside and we can see. Creation declares the great works of God. Catherine Lee Bates had that sense as, as she wrote, Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain. She must have been in Kansas when she wrote that. And then on to Colorado for Purple Mountain Majesties above the Fruited Plains. All across the world, the the universe, the day sky, the night sky, and and all the rest of creation, from the mountains to the plains, rivers and oceans, rainforests and arctic tundra, lush valleys and vast deserts, it all declares the glory of God and proclaims the work of His hands. God is speaking through creation. Are we listening? Now look at verse 2 again. It says, day after day before. Pour forth speech night after night, they reveal knowledge. What knowledge is displayed by creation? What can we learn about God from skies and seas and trees and flowers? Let me let me suggest four things just to start. Number one, creation shouts that there's a Creator. The intelligent design movement, which in itself is not necessarily uh, Christian or even. Uh, um, Embracing God necessarily, but they at least recognize this that it's risen out of of a vacuum of reality in evolutionary theory, particularly macroevolutionary theory, and showing that macroevolution is a bankrupt notion that cannot explain the existence of the universe and all the world and living things in it, Uh, nor the irreducible complexity of these things. Rather, creation shouts that there is a creator, an intelligent creator, and in fact, an omniscient and omnipotent creator. Creation shouts that this creator is eternal and unchanging or immutable. God is not mutant. The God who made the universe and all of creation obviously had to exist before these things, you can't have the made before the maker. The maker comes first. Before creation, there was only God. There was no one or nothing to create God. The only logical conclusion, which is mind-blowing for our little minds, is that God has always been and always will be. He's eternal. God revealed himself to Moses as, I am who I am. And by the way, that that statement is not locked into tense like past, present, and future. It embraces it all. I was who I was eternally. I am who I am. I will be who I will be eternally. The unchanging, immutable God. God is fully sufficient within himself. He's eternal and unchanging. Number three, creation shouts the love of God. When you see how the created order is designed to sustain life, And all the parts of that, and one part missing, would be devastating. You see God's love for those that he made in his image. His love for all of creation. What if God made man before he made vegetation and before he made the sun? (laughs) That wouldn't work. He couldn't survive. But God lovingly provided a place and a provision in the animals, and then last of all, humanity creation hints of the holiness of God now it's not developing it fully we need we need this to get to get more details on all these matters but but creation hints at the holiness of God that the abuse of God's creative gifts has consequences that violating the natural order of created things uh, by God results in great suffering we'll go to Romans 1 in a moment to show that but that'll come a little bit Uh, Defying the law of gravity that God put in place, uh, you never win defying the law of gravity. Uh, It'll win every time. When we deny what is revealed in creation, our distinct maleness and femaleness from God, uh, affirming our identity not by our self-identity but by God's identifying us. The more we pay attention to the created order, the more we can observe about the Creator who made it all. Now, as we think about the sky-talking God who speaks visually without words, I want to raise a series of questions. Who has the opportunity to hear God's voice in this particular way that we're talking about today? Look at verse 4. Their voice, in the voice of creation, goes out into all the earth their words to the ends of the world. Remember when Paul and Barnabas took their first missionary journey in the book of Acts in 13 and 14, and in 14 they came to Lystra in modern-day Turkey, and uh, they healed, God healed a lame man through them. And the people rose up to worship them. They called Barnabas Zeus, the the greatest of Greek gods, and Paul Hermes because he was the speaker, and they they wanted to worship them. Listen to what Paul said to them. I wonder how many pastors or how many preachers today would would just accept it, accept the adulation. (sighs) Listen to what Paul said. Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. He goes to creation here. In the past, he let all nations go their way, yet he's not, for no one has he left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness. By giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons, he provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. They don't have the gospel. He's trying to give them the gospel. They didn't have the gospel. They don't have a Bible. They don't have a Jewish uh, background. These people that were worshiping him, they're they're the Greek worlds. They're they're from the Greek world. They're pagans. They don't have any biblical background or any biblical heritage. And yet God was so good to them in creation. Who has the opportunity to hear God's voice? Everyone. Creation is the universal language and no isolated tribe can plead ignorance about the God that is declared in the heavens and in the skies. Now, um, the language of the psalm here to, uh, to the ends of the earth uh, to all the Earth, their words to the ends of the world that's reminiscent of something else in the New Testament called the Great Commission. that we're commanded to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. but what he is saying here is that that primary to the great Commission, the call to take the Gospel to be my witnesses to the ends of the of, of the earth, this form of communication has already gone out to the whole world, and now it's our job to obey Jesus and take the gospel to the ends of the earth to catch up with the witness of creation. The witness of creation is already there. We can tie into that. Paul did that many times to connect with the people where they were and then to take them where they need to be. Well, then uh, David gives uh, a a more specific example, the ball of fire called the sun. And what does the sun express? Well, what do you see? Uh, You see order. Verse 6, it rises at one end of the heavens and makes a circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Um, That tells you that creation is not random. Um, It's not like you wake up every day and say, well, I wonder where the sun's going to go today. It's pretty predictable, isn't it? There's an order to this. It's not an accident relation of the sun and the earth and the rotation of the earth and every relationship between the sun and the earth is so precise and must remain so one minor shift and we're burned up or we're frozen to death. It has to be perfectly set. God is a God of meticulous order. You see, purpose, it rises at one end of the heavens, makes it circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heed. God provides the blessings of the sun for life and warmth Showing his purpose to provide life for the earth, and then don't miss in what it says in verses four and five as it reveals passion poetry is uh this is the poetry of worship verses uh four and five in the heavens. there's so many metaphors that are all mixed together in this section uh in the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. it is like. A bridegroom coming out of his chamber, so there's the second metaphor, and then thirdly, it's like a champion rejoicing to run his course, like an Olympic runner. What is God saying with every sunrise? I think it's while we were in the Adirondack's cabin in New York uh, a week and a half ago um, that my reading, I read through the Bible every year, and my reading took me to the book of Ecclesiastes, probably the most complex book. I, I have never preached through the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm a coward. <laughs> you know that now. Uh, but I keep reading it, trying to gain understanding of it. Uh, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Chapter one, utterly meaningless, or futility of futilities, vanity of vanities. Here's here's his perspective. He's kind of stuck. Generations come and generations go. The earth remains forever sun rises and the sun sets. He's saying the same thing Psalm 19 says, but with a totally different attitude. sun rises, the sun sets, hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning to its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. That seems to bother him. When are we going to get this job done? Uh, To the place the streams come from, there they return again. And observing these marvelous patterns of creation, he's, he's got a dim view of the whole thing, as his response is, all things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye's never s- enough of seeing, nor the ear has its fill of hearing. We're never satisfied with this. Th- there's nothing new under the sun. Boring. Absolutely boring. Boring. Is that what you see out there? This is so boring, the cycle of the sun, the days, the months, the years happening over and over again. Where is the meaning? He's begging for meaning and he can't see it. Well, you read on through Ecclesiastes and his approach matures. We'll say it that way. And God does speak through Ecclesiastes. But for a different perspective, let's go back to Psalm 19 and see that the heavens and the cycles of the heavens declare the glory of God. Don't you see what a a gift this cycle of the sun is? not the monotony of it that it happens over and over again and is so monotonously predictable. You better be glad it's predictable. The sustaining power that comes from it. And then God says, I love this, the rising sun is like a bridegroom leaving his chamber on the way to get his lover. This, this is what God is doing for us. Here's the marvelous image. The, the relationship of the sun to the earth the bless the earth. The lover pursuing his bride. And this is passion poetically expressing the joy that comes from beholding the creation of God that that calls to you in that daily cycle to rejoice in Him and see His creative power and sustaining grace. This is God pursuing every one of us with what is sometimes called common grace, not saving grace but common grace, His love and care for everyone. And every morning God shouts to us through the sunrise, I'm still here, I haven't forgotten you, my compassions never fail, they're new every morning. And that's from Lamentations chapter 3, when Jeremiah is sitting in the devastation of a destroyed city of Jerusalem, and yet God still speaks, even in the devastation. Now how do we respond to that? When your alarm goes off, interrupting your sleep, well, I've got some good news for you. You get my age, you wake up before it goes off. You just can't sleep very well anymore. But then I sometimes go to sleep again, and then the alarm goes off, and I have to deal with it. And you know well, it's another day, and there's all kinds of little sayings, another day, another dollar, and oh, such a drudgery, this is so difficult. And But I'm sure you're not that way. I'm sure you look out the window and you see the sun has come up. And you say, wow, God did it again. He did it again. That's how you start your day, isn't it? Well, no, I don't either, but I should. Back in 1908, over 100 years ago, G.K. Chesterton wrote about the glory of God in creation and what he calls divine monotony. Uh, we get bored with this endless cycle, especially in a sinful world, our decaying world, our declining, aging bodies, and yes, I'm old enough to begin to feel that, our uh, uh, things are getting difficult, we, we start to go to Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, futility of futilities, and empty of emptiness, and yeah, a lot of those things are empty, and we need to get past the seeking of things to fulfill when it can't fulfill, and go to God. And, but, but we get into that stage of thinking boring instead of standing in awe of God's power and faithfulness that's revealed in every sunrise and every sunset, and even on a cloudy day. Oh, it's never, well, rarely is it so dark in the clouds that you don't know the sun's up there. The sun's up there doing its job designed by God. And so every sunrise and sunset, every change of season, every seed time and harvest, every conception and birth, every breath we take, wow, God did it again. We can be so... Unaware of God, they're even bored with our breathing. We've got a man in the hospital right now, and I know you went through a lot of pain in the last year. And I'm mindful of that. And I grieve with you and your loss. We have a man right now in the hospital at St. V on a ventilator because he, he can't breathe. Without, he, he can't get enough breath to, to oxygenate his blood without that help. Oh, that's the thing we take for granted that is so, so precious. So glorious divine monotony is one of God's gracious gifts to us, the cycles that continue, whether it's the sun or our breathing. God is passionately calling us to rejoice in him and with him. And Psalm 19 poetically mixes two of the five senses as it speaks of what is de- visual declaring and proclaiming God's glory. That we are to hear what we see. All five senses are divine receptors or divine gifts are receptors to hear God speak. What we see, what we hear, what we Smell what we taste, what we touch, another hindrance to the hearing of God's voice is the philosophical presuppositions that dominate formal education today, and some of you that are just heading off to college you'll you'll get some of this um, Do you ignore the evidence? in favor of naturalistic explanations that start with the assumptions and exclude God? Why is the theory of macroevolution so widely accepted? It's because of the presuppositions of naturalism, which is the assumption that God isn't. There has to be another explanation other than God. You rule out the only reasonable explanation, and what are you left with? you got to make up something. Please turn to Romans 1, and we'll, we'll start to land this plane. Romans 1, where Paul speaks of the voice of God in creation. and What Paul has to say here about our un- inability or unwillingness to see what God says in creation is a very serious matter and is very evident by his words in Romans 1, beginning with verse 18. After a very gracious and warm greeting, he suddenly switches to this, the wrath of God The divine case against man is based on, as a first consideration, on the fact that man has ignored the voice of God in creation. God has spoken. We have refused to listen. We have rejected God's voice. One of my favorite speakers and writers is uh, Dr. Don Carson. His devotional commentary, For the Love of God, has been a great help to me. And he says about this, quote, just as ancient peoples manufactured complex myths to explain the sun, the moon, and the stars, the, the Greek gods, and as one example, and so many others. Uh, we, we mock that, but the shame of our culture, he says, is that we manufacture complex scientific myths to explain them as well. Our deep-seated philosophical commitment to the notion of random, purposeless, mindless, accidental origination of everything is horribly perverse. Anything to avoid the far more obvious conclusion of a supremely intelligent God capable of spectacularly wonderful design. The evidence is there. The celestial host, Psalm 19, pour forth speech night after night. They display knowledge. And when you reject the self-disclosure of God, when you reject the creator, then you're likely to fall into the pattern of worshiping the creation itself instead of the creator. And ultimately, you begin to worship yourself. And that's what's happened in our culture today. Americans on both sides of the political divide, and don't worry, I'm not going to go there. But Americans on both sides, all sides of the political divides have gone to self-worship, self-identity, self, self, self. You worship creation instead of creator. That's what happened then and it's happening today as explained in Romans 1. And I'll just kind of go look verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Well, verse 21, for they, they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. Their thinking became futile, their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. They had their idols, we have ours. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. And then skipping ahead, and there's more detail there that would need to be unpacked more carefully. But verse 28, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind. To do what ought not to be done. they become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossip, slanders, god-haters, and I won't read to the end. And the supposedly educated and demythologized modern world, the worship of creation and the inability to distinguish between God and what God has made is as common as ever. It's called pantheism. Everything is God. The belief that God is everything is spreading like western wildfires. Well, I'm guessing that's not your problem today specifically and we have to stop with the first half of Psalm 19. I ask how can you sharpen your senses to hear the voice of God. Thankfully, 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 God has not left us with just creation. You don't have to just look out the window. He's given us his word. The last half of the psalm, which we won't take time to unpack today, but the last half of the psalm is just filled with a wonderful description of what God has given to us in his word that uh, takes us to the next level The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And so, look outside, take a walk in the woods, see the beauty of creation. Well, take your Bible with you, sit down on a stump, and in the revelation of God's glory in creation, receive the revelation of God's glory in his word, and you'll eventually see the trajectory moves to a third way of God communicating through creation, through his written word, and through Jesus Christ, because that's where it takes it, to Christ, who became one of us, the incarnation, who died on the cross for us, the crucifixion, who was raised from the dead, resurrection, who is coming again, who ascended into heaven, who's coming again. And so that we say in the midst of all the discouragement around us, Our citizenship's in heaven, if if Christ is our Savior. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, you're so good. You've been so gracious. The Great gifts that we take for granted. Will God forgive us for that? And uh, thank you that from creation we move to revelation from Scripture to Christ. Lord, I pray your blessing on this congregation. You all know, we, we all know that everywhere there have been challenges and difficulties on so many different levels. Lord, may this congregation continue to shine as a light in the darkness of this world, a beacon of hope, reminding people all over, that you are God, you are able, you provided a Savior. Bless this church, bless their pastor, Pastor Curtis, his wife, Lavette. Encourage and bless them, their elders, all their leaders. May we continue to declare your glory to the nations. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
1: you, Pastor Macy, thank you for the word of God to point us to hear from what we see. Um, That, for me, just encourages me for what morning time um, is to say. Thank you for reminding us that God expects us to hear what he has shown us. continue to keep our eyes focused on him when our world wants us to look at us. This morning, I don't want to leave without giving you an opportunity. Um, As you have heard um, the word of God uh, really shared thoroughly and deeply, and God pointing us to see him and what he has done, I don't want to leave it to chance that there is someone here or maybe even someone that's watching that do that 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 does not know God through Christ in the way that God had intended. Pastor Tom in the beginning spoke about God pursuing us even in our sin and especially in our sin after the fall of man God kept pursuing and there's someone today that God is still pursuing you and you have not come into relationship with him. And he is wanting you to because you were designed to. It is how you are wired. It is what is to be meant. Maybe the fact that that life has no meaning is because you've not found the one who gives meaning. And so this morning, if that's you, if you've never come to a Personal trusting of Christ. You have heard the message of Christ, but you have not believed and you have not embraced, you have not confessed, you have not repented of that sin because you did not believe that God was correct when He said, We all have sinned, and that He sent Christ to be the remedy for that sin. And in His death, burial, and resurrection, He paid that price. If you've never come to confess that, to embrace that, then you need Christ this morning. And I want to provide that opportunity for you. If you've heard this message this morning and you've said, I'm not one who has done that, please see me today before you leave. Please have the opportunity to speak with one of us. If you are watching online. We would love to be able to hear from you and to lead you into a time in which you can come to know Christ as Savior and come to be in relationship with the Father as a result of that. I thank Pastor Tom for his word this morning, but most of all, I thank God for his faithfulness to us this morning in pointing us back to something as simple as what we see around us, what we hear around us what we touch what we taste what we smell all as i love what he said divine receptors for us to understand who god is so this morning if that is you please see us and if this morning you desire prayer again myself or one of our elders are here and we would love to pray with you um and then be able to encourage you in the word and so once again thank you um Thank you, Pastor Tom, for for blessing us. Um, After you said what you did, I was like, wow, I kind of did graciously call you old. No, that was not my intention. (laughs) I do. I think I like to say I think of John at the end of, you know, at the at the end of what we see as his ministry and the writing we get. We get this seasoned writing as opposed to the son of thunder that he was when he called them just burn them all up, God. And at the end of his life we get can't we just love one another? Love us of God. I was like, wow, he's experienced something in the process. That was more my thought. Um you know thank you guys again. We're gonna just close on that. You know that for those that need um offering envelopes, are we still can you raise your hand? We can have that point out. We do not collect. There are receptacles um, in the foyer. There's one, of course, embedded um, box in the wall. You can leave them in the baskets. Feel free to exit either way. You can exit out the side door here, or you can exit out the back. Um, There is no order in that, but just give you different options. Make sure that you say hello to someone, greet someone, and please make sure that we are looking out for one another, that we are praying for them. Guys, also just give your greetings um and uh to those that um our um new freshmen in college that will be um leaving our fellowship they're not leaving us they're just leaving the daily fellowship here greet them as well um remember to pray for them uh as they move into this new um transitional time and um with that uh, you are dismissed and may the lord bless you May he strengthen you in this new week to come. Have a great week, everyone.